Everyone, welcome to Powerhouse Podcast. It is Monday, July 17th. My name is Thomas Bendit, as always, and excited to get back on the podcast trail here. It's been a couple weeks since we've had one, so uh, a lot to catch up on. We're not going to get to all of it today, but we have a few exciting topics, as well as two guests. One, not necessarily a guest, he's on our staff. Uh, so he probably doesn't count, but nonetheless, he will uh, be joining us. That's Casey, one of our writers. Uh, he's actually one of our editors. And Dave White from On the Banks will also be joining us shortly to chat. And we have two main topics. The first, we're going to be getting into some of the scheduling updates for the Big Ten across the league. And as well, we're going to get to the Rutgers Mount Rushmore of players since 2000. So who are the best four players for the Scarlet Knights over the last six, what, 16, 16 seasons, I, I want to say here. Uh, the years are a little bit weird with the, <laughs> the way the college basketball season works. But, so we'll be diving into those shortly. But uh, first, as we're waiting for the two to to jump on here with us uh, in a second, I wanted to get into some of the scheduling stuff. The first Main thing, a couple of non-conference announcements, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan all released their non-conference schedules earlier this week. Nothing too unexpected as far as those schedules went. We already knew that the big games for, for all three, you know, Michigan's going to Maui, they're getting UCLA and Texas this year. You know, Ohio State, they're getting uh, North Carolina, they're getting Gonzaga. And then Penn State, we know they're uh, going into the Legends Classic. I believe they actually just announced today um, who they are getting. But it, it should be a uh, an interesting schedule for all three. Um, Penn State's getting Pitt. Sorry, that's, that's who the Nittany Lions will be getting in the Legends Classic. So a lot to like there, a little bit of a in-state rivalry feel which, you know, if anyone who watched the football game this year knows, it'll be a little bit feisty between <laughs> between those two teams, so there's a lot to like there. Uh, but I, I would say uh, other than that, though, you know, starting with um, Penn State, pretty weak overall schedule, a lot of filler, not a lot of marquee opponents, and I, I think there's a few challenging ones, but it is a very bottom-heavy <laughs> uh, non-conference slate, let's put it that way. I, I wrote this in the article, you know, the instant analysis we did, but you really do have to wonder if this is a schedule to try to build an NIT resume. At least that's what it looks like from the bird's eye view, so to speak, as there's a lot of really guaranteed wins in, in the schedule. And there's not a lot that are going to boost the team's RPI and get the Nittany Lions in contention for the NCAA tournament. So at least from, you know, the hundred foot view, I think you do have to wonder if this is a schedule solely designed to get Penn State to the NIT. Maybe Pat Chambers thinks he needs that to secure his job. Maybe he thinks he needs it from a program momentum standpoint. I think the comparison I would draw if you're a Penn State fan and trying to be optimistic about the schedule is Northwestern. Um, a few years back with Chris Collins, they did a similar move. They built a ton of wins. They built a lot of momentum and excitement around the program. Ultimately, during that season, which was two years ago when they had that really, really soft non-conference schedule, 
they missed the NIT and they missed the NCAA tournament, but it really got things rolling in Evanston. And obviously Northwestern made the NCAA tournament last year, doing really well on the recruiting trail. And they, a lot of people figured that they could be a top 25 team this year. So if you're trying to be optimistic about it, that's the way you go. If you're looking on the other side of things, there's a schedule that likely will doom Penn State um, to an NIT bid or less, barring some sort of really surprising performance. So I would say it, there's there's mixed ways to, to take Penn State's schedule. As far as Ohio State goes, um, there's it's very, very top it, – how do I want to say this? It splits. It's very drastic. You have some of the nation's best teams. You have some of the nation's worst teams. It, there's not going to be a lot of uh, – in between, uh, so to speak, you know, when you're playing Gonzaga and North Carolina, aka the two teams in last year's national championship game, it's not going to be an easy task. And I think uh, it, it, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch. I'll, I'll say that. And, you know, lastly, Michigan, very challenging non-conference slate, I think, for the Wolverines. I would have wished that they had put a few more potential RPI bumps in so the lower end of the schedule, but, you know, they're getting UCLA at home, would be a really good team, getting Texas on the road, which figures to be a very formidable team as well. Um, and they even have, you know, some teams like Detroit, who they're playing in Detroit. Uh, and then they get North Carolina on the road in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So the Wolverines are going to have their hands full if they want to <laughs> repeat last year's success and, and sort of keep the momentum running from that Big Ten tournament title and the Sweet 16 appearance. So uh, from the scheduling side of things, those are the big the big announcements uh, as far as uh, the scheduling goes, I guess. Uh, the other thing I wanted to dive into, and, and hopefully Casey will join us here in a minute or two, always the challenge of, of doing a live show, getting everyone on here at the same time. But uh, one of the more interesting scheduling developments has been this discussion about a potential 20 game league schedule and particularly the you know Tom Izzo has talked about it Archie Miller has talked about it there's a lot of movement about increasing it and I guess to, to start the discussion on the the 20 game conference schedule uh, you need to start with the background of what we're at right now which is uh, an 18 game schedule obviously uh the reason that there are 18 games, if you're a big, big Ten history guy here, I guess, is that back when the league was only 10 teams, you had nine opponents, 18 games, you would play everyone on the road once, everyone at home once. So it may, it makes sense. It was equal. It was fair. There's, there's really no way around um, how that worked out. But obviously, since Penn State was added in the 90s, Nebraska, obviously, more recently, and then Maryland and Rutgers over the last year or so, that schedule has kind of moved out of whack. You know, you're you're currently only getting five teams twice, whereas before, obviously, you got every team in the conference twice. So it's kind of changed things, and it, it's kind of mixed things up. But um, to help us break down the 20-game uh, conference slate here, we have Casey, one of our writers. Casey, how's it going? Good, man. How's your uh, summer going? You're off season. <laughs> going well, going well. I'm uh, – Excited to get back on the podcast. We've kind of been off here for a couple of weeks and uh, plenty to talk about tonight, plenty to talk about. But uh, Casey, as you joined us, I'm, I'm sure you heard a little bit of what we were talking about, uh, potential 20-game Big Ten slate down the road. 
what, what are your initial reactions to this? Do you like it? Um, do you dislike it? How do you, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, more more Big Ten basketball, the better in my mind. Uh, <laughs> since they added the new teams a couple years ago, uh, you get to see a little bit more rivalries build, I'd say. Um, and hopefully they actually, you know, have the in-state rivalries play twice a year instead of, you know, mixing it up all the time. Uh, but, yeah, overall, definitely a good thing. Um, anytime you get more more games with these teams is, is good in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have mixed thoughts on, on it, to be honest. Uh, you know, from a general point, I, I tend to agree with you. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the biggest proponents of protecting the rivalry games in the Big Ten. <laughs> so uh, certainly the idea of being able to protect, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, games like that, I really get me gets me excited. But the downside, which I, I think some people might not realize or might not even be thinking about, is that it also guarantees more losses. You know, if you have Big Ten teams playing Big Ten teams, somebody has to lose, obviously. And I, I think the idea of you're also going to be losing home games as well. And the, the reason I say that is because uh, obviously, if, if you added two games, one would be a road game, one would be a home game, but it's going to limit your non-conference scheduling because if you're if you're sucking two games out of, I think most the teams usually play 13 non-conference games right now, and if you're uh, you know grabbing two more of those and you're really cutting it down to 11 when you already add in the Big Ten ACC challenge, you know some of the teams are playing in the Big Ten Big East challenge you're kind of limited on what you can do. And I I think that could be challenging as far as a a scheduling aspect goes, you know, for fans who want to see premier non-conference games, I I think the 20 game slate could be a little bit of a, I don't know, limiter on that. Uh, Casey, you have any thoughts on that? You think it'll be too much of a a hit to the schedule or are you just of the mind more big 10, the better? Well, you are right. You know, it could, uh, add losses, but lately it seems like um, they're kind of giving the bigger name teams the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Mm -hmm. They want to see as many, you know, power seven schools in the, in the tournament as possible. So it it could go either way. Um, When, when they, it wouldn't, it would be next year is what they're, what they're saying or two years down the road. Yeah, it would be, it would not be this season. You know, that's a really good point. It, it definitely would not be 2017-18. I believe the earliest they're looking at is 2018-19. I know from the sounds of it, Izzo has talked about it. Archie Miller has talked about it. It sounds like it's coming. So I, I think fans should sort of get in the mindset that it's it's probably on the way, whether you like it or not. Um, as I said, I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings on it. You know, personally, I, I like the idea of more of these games. I like the idea of potentially scrapping a, you know, bad non-conference game or maybe even two. But I I think for me, you know, the trade-off is, you know, if it's hurting the league's chances to go to the NCAA tournament, if it's hurting some of those seeding potentials, and as well, you know, if I I really think a real outcome of this, to me, guaranteed, is there are going to be more buy games. And I know that's kind of a, a big statement, but the thing is, is these ADs are only going to give up so many home games. And the thing is, is the only games you can guarantee at home in non-conference play are the bye games. And I, I think a 
unintended consequence of this is you're going to see more buy games and non-conference play, which I don't know if any fans truly enjoy, uh, you know, seeing somebody beat down some mid-major school by 30. But, uh, you know, who knows? I guess that, that may be how it turns out. But, uh, um, Casey, as well, you know, before you got on, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio, Ohio State, and Penn State. They all re- released their non-conference schedules uh, for the upcoming season. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see those schedules, if you had any reactions to them. Um, or if you had any thoughts, I guess, about uh, the Big Ten scheduling uh, so far for next season. Well, the one thing that, you know, we're, we're talking about the 20 games, moving to 20 games. Mm-hmm. What, they need to focus on, what they need to focus on is how many times last year did we have a Saturday slate with, like, three 12 o'clock games, two 2 o'clock games, and then nothing to offer from, like, 5 o'clock on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was the same on Sunday. So there are definitely scheduling issues, but I wish they would tackle the ones that, you know, I think are uh, the easiest to fix, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, to, and I oh, was talk about this year's this year's schedule. I, I looked at it when it came out. Uh, but last year, Penn State played Michigan State at the Palestra, and that was, that was pretty cool, uh, <laughs> actually, beat them there. But... I, I don't think they're going back there this season, and it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, that was that was a really exciting game. You know, I kind of had mixed thoughts on it, uh, kind of keep continuing the mixed thoughts theme here. But I, I had mixed thoughts on that game, but it was really exciting. The environment was awesome. So, I mean, uh, that was that was a great move by everyone involved, I think. But, but yeah, to your point about the Saturday scheduling, you know, I, I to me, the biggest issues in the Big Ten scheduling right now in terms of conference play, not non-con or anything like that, um, for conference plays, number one, the protected rivalries, which I'm not going to dive into again because I feel like this is – I dive into this almost every podcast. So uh, <laughs> the protected rivalries. And then number two, your point, the Saturdays. I mean, I, I just do not understand why the Big Ten and the schools are so beholden to these TV networks – that they will let them dictate these noon games week after week after week. There is no reason why the Big Ten should go weeks on ends. And frankly, I, I would guarantee if you went back through, they have more than a month of college you know, scheduling where they have Saturdays where they do not have a night game. I just, I don't get it. I mean, to anyone who goes to Big Ten games, Saturday night games are the biggest and the best. They just, they are, the crowds are hyped. They're involved. You know, if I don't understand why you wouldn't want to see Indiana Purdue on a Saturday night or Michigan, Michigan state on a Saturday night, or frankly, uh, you know, even if you take some of the teams who've struggled in recent years, you know, if you put, you know, Wisconsin on the road against an Illinois or, you know, Penn state or, uh, you know, Northwestern, something like that on a Saturday night, that's going to add a lot of sizzle to it. You know, you get the potential upset factor, potential, you know, court rush. It, it's just exciting. Um, and I, I think that's a really good point. But um, is there any any thoughts on that? Any reactions? Or are you kind of in agreement as far as the, the Saturday night stuff goes? Oh, 100%. You know, as a guy who likes to, you know, I don't get a chance to see a lot of the Saturday day games. So I, I think you should have something 
because a lot of people have that same issue. So you should have something for everyone. And like you said, the atmosphere, I mean, when you're in college, you have your friends coming in on the weekends, your family coming in on the weekends. You know, a lot of people are working Monday through Friday. So you do have the opportunity to have, you know, probably more people there, a great atmosphere. And uh, it's it's a shame and it's it's strange that they don't, you know, take advantage of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do have to admit, you know, I've been a pretty big critic of the Fox move as as far as the TV uh, rights for the Big Ten. But I do have to admit that you do have to wonder, you know, with the move to Fox, are is Fox going to be willing to put some of these games on Saturday night? I don't know the answer to that yet. You know, we'll see once they start releasing the college basketball stuff. My guess is we'll probably see some more, but, you know, there were pr- there were some pretty huge Big Ten basketball games on Saturday of last season and before, which, you know, even ESPN2 or whatever didn't want to put on Saturday night. So, you know, I'm not a TV scheduling expert, but it it just shocks me the lack of premier night games uh, for the Big Ten. But, um, but with that, we do have a, a special guest on here from uh, one of our SB Nation uh, team blogs. Uh, Dave White from On the Banks is joining us. Dave, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, welcome yeah, back. Good to hear from you, man. <laughs> good to hear you guys, too. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm way more informed on other Big Ten teams than I was the first time I was ever on this show. Yeah, yeah, we're starting to build up build up the history here on the, the BT Powerhouse <laughs> podcast. Um, but, Dave, we, we do have an exciting topic for you. But before we dive into the Mount Rushmore, you know, we're talking about the potential 20-game Big Ten slate you know, obviously they play 18 right now. And as well, you know, some things we'd like to see changed as far as Big Ten scheduling goes. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, you know, as a as kind of a newcomer to the conference uh, from the Rutgers side? You know, in my opinion, I think uh, I think you got the more basketball, the better to me. Uh, <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind it. Um, I think it depends upon when it's coming down from a Rutgers standpoint right now it wouldn't be best because they're not in a position schedule wise to take on even two more tougher games you know it wouldn't yeah. help but in, in the future I would love to, to um, you know get two more more games in here I, I love conference season it's always such a battle so yeah that, yeah that would fair enough fine. yeah I mean I, I, I think uh, you know like I was saying I had some mixed thoughts as far as uh, some of the any consequences that might come along with it. But, uh, yeah, it would certainly make for some more exciting basketball, that's for sure. But, yeah, but I, that, I think it's one of those things – oops, sorry. I think it's one of those oh, things that once the first conference does it, like if the a- ACC does it, everybody's going to just start following suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, you know, I talked about – it's obviously – I think it's probably going to weaken the conference's profile a little bit just because you're going to have more losses, uh, more likely more upsets within the conference. But, uh, you know, certainly the game profiles will be bigger. Maybe that will ultimately yield better results for the league. But, uh, yeah. But with that, um, we'll jump into our, our main topic here for you guys and – I will say to our listeners, I'm going to try to get these done for every uh, Big Ten team on the podcast. Um, We'll see if we can actually get through them all before the preseason hits. But we're going to jump into the Mount Rushmore of Rutgers basketball since 2000. Um, Yeah. uh, You guys have so excited for this. (laughs) Go ahead. 
uh, oh gosh, who are mine? I, Aaron and I did something like this. Aaron Brightman, who's the other SB Nation writer, um, a couple months ago, and now I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to find the post. Um, but I think Casey and I agree on Miles Mack and Quincy Duby. I mean, Quincy Duby is the the easy, uh, one. easy one. Yeah, I mean, he was. I was. I was at almost every game in 2006 where he just, you know, dominated. But um, uh, and I think Miles Mack. You know, he he well, only played well, one season in the Big Ten, but um, he, there were nights where he was just on fire. So th- those are the two easy ones, I think. Well, before before we jump much deeper into it, Casey, why don't you walk through, and everyone who's interested, this is on the BT Powerhouse front page right now, uh, Casey's piece on what players he would have chose for Rutgers basketball post-2000 Mount Rushmore. It's important that we specify this is only after 2000. Uh, so the first season that counts is 2000 to 2001. Um, so, Casey, uh, have at it. What were your four players? Uh, let's set the table a little bit first. Did you All guys, right. Before so, you even start, I'm sorry. Did, did you guys have, like, rules for this, uh, you know, like boundaries or anything, or did you just go with it, whoever played for Rutgers, like Dante Jones played for two seasons and that was okay, that kind of thing? That You know, that's a uh, good question. Um, and what our, our concept, we had a couple – uh, the first is obviously they had to play at least the season after uh, 2000 to 2001. Um, so they had to play it, you know, from that point after um, any, any player counted, even if they played only one season, but only college contributions were counted. So for instance, uh, you know, OG and OB for Indiana, theoretically, if he dominated in the NBA, he could not possibly be on the Mount Rushmore for Indiana because he just didn't contribute enough in college. So it was, college-specific contributions. Um, but, gotcha, uh, gotcha. yeah. Uh, so, Casey, why don't, why don't you dive into who you picked? So, like uh, Dave said, Quincy Dobie, he was the easiest choice. Uh, he was a four-year, uh, three-year guy at Rutgers, averaged 25 points in uh, his junior season, wound up as a, uh All-American. He wasn't a uh, consensus, but he uh, did get selected. He was just prolific scorer, um, and he's probably, you know, Rutgers' uh, most well-known in the last 15 or 16 years. Uh, so he was the easiest choice. The next one was uh, Miles Mack, another guy that Dave mentioned. He had an interesting seat, uh, uh, which was that he actually played in with the Big East Rutgers and then was there for the one year in the American Conference and then also was uh, there – when they made their entrance into the Big Ten. Uh, he had great numbers. You know, he was always in uh, the top ten no matter what conference he was in. And I think he was there during a really tough time with uh, the whole Rice scandal and switching uh, excuse me, switching around conferences and stuff. So, uh, you know, the talent was always there, but, you know, I, I know some people probably wouldn't have him in. I'm happy that Dave did. Uh, so it was Toby, Mac, and then the third one, you know, <laughs> is a guy who's currently on Rutgers. He only has been there two years, but he is hands down the best player on their team. Uh, you know, if he wasn't there, regardless of how good a coach Steve Pico is, Corey Sanders, uh, the team wouldn't be able to compete night in and night out in the Big Ten, in my mind. Uh, super explosive, very athletic, will probably play in the league one day. Um, guards the opposing team's best player their go-to guy on offense. And then the fourth guy 
with Rutgers basketball, there's only so many people to, that stick out in your mind. And this guy was a little bit of a wild card. Uh, Mike Rosario. He was, <laughs> he was a guy like like Sanders who came in as a big recruit in, like, I think it was 2008. And, uh, yeah, he had nights like, like Miles Mack did where he was just red hot. Uh, I referenced a, a game in my piece where he uh, scored 33 against St. John's, and I remember watching that game, and that's kind of what stuck out in my head when I was doing the piece. So a, a little bit controversial, but Mike Rosario, he ended up transferring to Florida after two years, uh, but he was my, my fourth guy on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, Dave, I know Dave uh, doesn't I, like I, that pick. <laughs> okay, Dave, what, what are your thoughts? What's your response here? I, I, I mean, it's t- when Aaron and I did it, we, we um, eliminated transfers. So if you transferred out, we mm. couldn't count you because – so that 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 was tough. Um, but Rosario, I mean, he had his nights, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 he had his nights. Um, but he left on such odd terms. It, it, it doesn't leave, you know – I'm trying to think. He, he, Billy Donovan was able to get to him and turn him into a really good player his senior year. So, but he was hurt a lot. Um, and on Rutgers, he was asked to do so much, and he was in the middle of, of so much. Uh, you know, Fred Hill just didn't know how to manage a roster. It seemed like, and and you know, took the the. He had some veteran, good veteran players like J.R. Inman, who you know could have brought Rosario along more slowly, and and. Instead, he handed the keys to Rosario and Corey Chandler, and, and it didn't work. And I, I don't know how much of that is Rosario being headstrong. I don't know Rosario, but there were so many problems when you watch that team up close his two years that I can't put him on a Mount Rushmore. Um, <laughs> who, who do you have instead? All right, so I would I would also take Corey off for right now. I, I need to okay. see what Corey does for, for one more year. And um, – I, I think he's on the cusp. He would be an honorable mention for me. Um, I think he's a great player, but I, I want to see him be a more complete player. Um, I think my other two would be um, Hamani Njai, who was just a defensive stud and was beginning to turn himself into a, a much better offensive player. He really developed over four years um, mm-hmm. and, and ended up drafted, uh, I believe, in the second round in 2010. Um, and my other player would be Hervé Lamazana, who was uh, one of Kevin Bannon's last recruits that Gary Waters was able to hang on to in 2001, 2002. Um, and Hervé was a team leader. He played uh, for three years with Rutgers. He has several, um, in fact, the Rutgers men's basketball Twitter feed just tweeted out um, his 2003 banked three with 10 seconds left to beat um, Carmelo Anthony's Syracuse team. I was at that game. It was great. Um, and he beat, uh, uh, he beat Providence in 2004 on another near buzzer beater three. He was on the team and was a leader on the team to get uh, Rutgers to the 2004 NIT finals, which I know to somebody like Thomas doesn't seem like all that much. And, and I know Michigan beat them. But when you're a Rutgers fan, the 2003-2004 NIT title is the height of the last 
16 years, and it was just an mm-hmm. awesome run. And Hervé was uh, key to that uh, with a freshman, Quincy Doobie. So I think those two would be my, my on my Mount Rushmore. I think I would go with Miles, uh, Doobie, of course, and then Hervé and Hamidi. Um, and I think Corey would be an honorable mention for me uh, for now. But who knows, next season he could, you know, really turn it on and be, you know, a stud, and, and I'd have to knock uh, – someone else off maybe Hamidi or maybe Hervé but um those would be my two I, I I just have really good memories of those players too um I'm a, I'm a I pretty much the entire span of this I'm a season ticket holder so, mm. <laughs> so I, I saw a lot of these players up close and I remember Rosario being a bit maddening probably because when he was at Rutgers he was a freshman and a sophomore whereas I see somebody like Hamidi grow into being a senior and and getting drafted or or somebody like uh Hervé uh you know becoming a complete team leader <laughs> by his his senior year and, and I put a lot of stock into that and a lot of stock into defense and stuff like that um so so that's why I would pick those two and and Mike Rosario just leaves a bad taste I mean he you I don't know if you guys remember but that Florida team his senior year came back into the rack to play Mike Rice's uh, second-year team with Miles Mack on it, and Mack outscored Rosario, and 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 they beat Florida in double overtime, and just the, one of the best games I've ever been to at the rack. So, mm. um, moments like that stand out to me as well. So I couldn't, I can't go purely on numbers. So that's why I would pick those two. Yeah. Um, two questions for you guys. Uh, first, for Dave, what you know, obviously. Of the players that we're talking about here, the only one who's active is Corey Sanders, who is on Rutgers for at least another season. Uh, Dave, uh, what would he have to do for you to make this uh, four? And I guess, moreover, is there a chance he, if he really performs over the next year or two, uh, could he go down as Rutgers' best player since 2000? Oh, yeah, I, th- I think he really could. I think he's got that kind of talent. I mean, Doobie's junior year when he got drafted was just incredible. Um, I, there's, you can't find it online. I've tried, but in the second round of the Big East tournament that season, Doobie uh, lit Villanova up in the first half for like 16 or 18 points. They couldn't stop him, and uh, Jay Wright decided to triple team Doobie. And Doobie passed, but no one else on that team could score. And that's how good he was that that team got to the NIT that year and won a round. Um, mm. So Doobie was amazing. I think Corey Sanders has to be that kind of player. And I think it's, you know, Corey's going to have more pieces next year that's going to make him look even better. Uh, I think the big thing with Corey so far is that he hasn't had much around him. He's had to be the man, and and it's it's hindered him a bit. I'm also uh it's hard for me to put an active player on a Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. So so that's yeah. part of it. I'm I'm a little I'm I'm old, you guys. I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 37, <laughs> so I'm old. Um <laughs> so I have I have a little bit of old school rules to me, but uh mm-hmm. I it's hard for me to put an active player on there. Fair enough. Um and then my my second question is for both of you and we'll start with uh uh Casey. Now, if we sort of twisted the rules here a little bit and just shifted this if it was just pure talent you know pure potential pure athleticism you know that kind of analysis instead of contributions um would would you have changed anyone on this list 
Um, and I, I guess any, any thoughts on, you know, sort of that evaluation instead of just the, the college contributions uh, since 2000? And, and Casey, we'll start with you. Well, would, it, would it be going back before 2000 or same uh, no, year? Same, same duration, but instead of, you know, contributions, just kind of like pure potential. Um, in my mind, no, but, uh, you know, Dave might know a little bit better than me. He was, uh, you know, really there during those early years. And, uh, you know, I only really started following Rutgers like hardcore in like 2005, 2006. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, these, these new guys are fresher to me and, um, you know, a guy who, who has a lot of talent right now is, uh, Deshaun Freeman, but I don't think he would, he would make, uh, replace any of those guys. Like I said, I thought Rosario and Sanders do have a lot of the same qualities in terms of, uh, you know, score first point guards, uh, explosive, can kind of go off on any night, uh, same with Mac. And, uh, yeah, and it, they kept them in a lot of the games. And just like uh, Sanders keeps the, them in now, that's what uh, Rosario did in the late 2000s. So, no, I wouldn't change anything, but um, Dave might have some, some different uh, – Different thoughts, but uh, Dave, I, I think any, any thoughts on that? I think pure potential. You'd have to 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 put Corey on um, on the team. Uh, I think he's probably been you know all we heard about were his his highlight tapes and all his crazy dunks, and and we've been able to see some of that um, in 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 games, which is pretty cool to watch. Uh, I just think it's 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 tough for me again not seeing the whole career. I think that's the hardest part mm -hmm. for me. You know, when I look at the whole career, it's hard for me to put a, you know, a Rosario on there who left or even, um, you know, I thought about putting Marquise Webb on there just because of what he did intangibly, but it, it's hard to put him on numbers wise or, or I'm trying to think of people who transferred because uh, there's been a lot of them uh, uh, like a Todd Billet um, or a Greg Eshenike, you know, really had, had potential. To, to be all-timers, and, and Billet left in 2000, oh, so I guess he was there before 2000, he left in 2000 to go to Virginia, and Eshenike left in 2009 and ended up being a really good player for Creighton, you know, so I think um, <laughs> I think uh, I think uh, that is what makes it hard for me, I think Rosario on potential you know he turned into an excellent player. His his senior year of Florida was ridiculous. Um, Eli Carter was another one. No, that's who, a guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a good that, player. There's a guy who who with potential. That guy could could score. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and he was he was probably on those Mike Rice teams their their best defensive player. But again, it's so tough because so many of them left when the, the that Mike Rice team was was talented and. Um, when everything went down, so many of them left. They, they were Kadeem Jack, is is a guy yeah. who I think had potential. Um, was really athletic. You know, was a key in that that big win over Wisconsin. Um, a the couple most years incredible ago. win ever. <laughs> yes, well, it was, I was there. It was amazing. I also think <laughs> I should be on Mount Rushmore because I've had season tickets for Rutgers basketball <laughs> since two thousand two, two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, you want to put somebody on on Mount Rushmore. I mean, the potential <laughs> to see a good—you never know, you know. <laughs> but we stick with it. Um, uh, since 2000, I, I would—I fit your your Mount Rushmore um, 
rules perfectly because I think I got season tickets in 02. <laughs> but but I think Kadeem Jack, based on potential, you look at the Mike Rice's first recruiting class, Miles Mack, Eli Carter, Kadeem Jack, um, that's not his first class, but his big class. I think those three guys, based on potential, could be on the on the list, yeah. Fair enough, fair Kadeem's enough. a favorite of mine, and he decided he wanted to, to shoot three-pointers his senior <laughs> year, which I can't blame him because he wanted to go pro, but um, mm-hmm. he he was a beast when he when he went to the net. Yeah. Um, well, Dave, I appreciate you coming on, but uh, before we let you go, um, what, what's going on over in uh, Rutgers world uh, for our Big Ten fans who might not be uh, as tuned in for the Scarlet Knights? Man, I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Peichel does with this crew um, his second year. He's brought in some, some under-recruited guys, but I think some talented guys. Uh, a guy to work watch out for is Geo Baker, who's going to be a freshman. Um, I think they're going to play him at off guard, but he can pass and has the potential to be a, a, uh, a point guard down the line, but he's not going to usurp that job from Corey Sanders. Um, and they brought in a big man, Miles Johnson, who uh, from the West Coast, who was profiling to be a big time West Coast Pac-10 type recruit, and then he he broke his ouch, he broke his kneecap and missed the season, and kind of ouch. fell off a lot of people's radar. Um, but I think if you look at Issa Cham, um, his down the stretch ability to shoot got better. Um, I think there are more weapons on this team. Um, I look for somebody like Mike Williams to have a huge. Uh, huge senior year and really be the leader that that um that he can be so i think there's a lot of potential i mean i'm not talking ncaa potential but there's a lot of potential to you know kind of climb the ladder a little bit and not be 14th and not be you know they weren't blown out every night last year but um Mm -hmm. i think they they might be able to flip some of those wins uh some of those close losses into wins especially at home uh, I think a lot of this yeah. team knows what to expect now, and if Corey has the year I think he's going to have, um, you could be looking at five, six Big Ten wins, which is which probably puts them over 500 for the year. Yeah. Uh, Casey, any, thought, any thoughts on the school? Yeah. Well, well, last year, you know, they, they did have, you know, a much improved season, but besides Corey Sanders, there was Nigel Johnson was really the only other guy who could handle the ball sufficiently, you know, make plays this year, like they said, they have Baker, they have another uh, point guard, uh, Suf Mensa, who looks mm-hmm. really well, solid kid. He played junior college two years, so he's kind of, uh, he's grown up a little bit. He's not, you know, one of these scrawny freshmen. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to have some more guys who can handle the rock, take the pressure off uh, Corey a little bit, and that should help another year under Peichel, should help the guys who have been there. Um, and, uh, yeah, a guy like Mike Williams, Deshaun Freeman, you know, their time is running out, and I think they're going to want to uh, make an impact. Um, and, I, and I think Dave's also right, right on the money, five or six wins. Um, but what the main thing is what we, what we need to do is just get the rest of the conferences respect because still to this day it's like the laughing stock of the league. And it's like, you know, we, they are, we are getting better. Three wins isn't a lot, but, uh, you know, it's something. <laughs> I think Peichel needs yeah. his signature win this year. He almost had it last year in that Wisconsin overtime game. Oh, my God, um, at the Garden. Yeah, that was, that was – yeah. couldn't believe that. Yeah, so I, I think he needs to, to beat a ranked team this year. I think he will. Um, it seems like Rutgers teams almost always get at least one. So, um, 
you'll see some stuff early on against Florida State and Seton Hall. You'll, you'll kind of know how the season's going to go starting there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, but, Dave, before we let you go, where can uh, people check out your stuff? Uh, people can check me out all over the place. I'm uh, on Twitter <laughs> at Dave underscore White. Um, I still write it on the banks, uh, on the banks.com, though not as frequently. And you can buy my novels at DaveWhiteBooks.com. I had to get that in there. <laughs> DaveWhiteBooks.com. Excellent. Well, have all a right, great guys. One. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Later, um, uh, well, for everyone who checked us out today, we appreciate it. Um, Casey, any final thoughts here on the scheduling on the Rutgers Mount Rushmore or uh, the Big Ten in general before we let you go? Yeah, I wanted to uh, ask you about some, some news that came out today. Uh, okay. Everyone who who cares about Andrew Dockage thought he was going to uh, uh, Quinnipiac. What, what happened? He's going to Ohio uh, State now. Yeah, yeah. So um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, Michigan grad transfer Andrew Dockich has announced that he will be going to Ohio State for his fifth, like well, yeah, fifth and final season, um, making the incredible transfer from Michigan to arch rival Ohio State. Not something that happens very often in general, um, let alone at, at you know in men's college uh, basketball, but. Um, as far as I have been informed, the big thing is is uh, he has a real strong relationship with Chris Holtman, who recently hired Ohio State head coach, obviously, from Butler. And that was kind of the reason he went there. Ohio State desperately needs help in the backcourt. They think he can play some minutes. Um, I, I do agree. I, I think he will get five to ten minutes a game, no problem, for the Buckeyes next year. It's uh, probably the most bizarre transfer in college basketball this year. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong and someone can correct me, but it's hard to think of much beyond that. I certainly can guarantee that a lot of Wolverine fans will be kind of irked by, by this announcement. Um, but for both sides, I, I will say, I don't think this is going to be tremendously impactful for either side. You know, Michigan was not planning on giving him a, a scholarship for next year. And, you know, frankly, he was a walk-on for the Wolverines uh, until like halfway through last year when he got a scholarship. So, I Ohio State's not exactly getting uh, LeBron James. I'll I'll put it that way. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it should be an it should be a, it's going to be bizarre. I'll say that Michigan Ohio State play at least twice next year. We learned that earlier today. So uh, we'll get to see Dockich in Ann Arbor, and we'll get to see him face Michigan in Columbus. So that will yeah, be yeah. I can't wait to hear what. Uh... I can't wait to hear what Dan has to say about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I see he's already <laughs> active on the on the old Twitter machine. So uh on the horn. Those. <laughs> it uh it could spiral out of control here, folks. But uh but yeah, uh Casey, any any thoughts, any big things coming up here on BT Powerhouse for you? Uh nothing really, just uh I saw you went to uh Comerica Park. I how I haven't been there yet. I'm trying to get to every stadium in the in the in the MLB, and I haven't been to Comerica yet. How is uh, how is the digs over there? Uh, it, it's a nice stadium. It's it's really nice. Um, I don't know how old it is now, but it's still relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Um, nice in, nice out. Uh, I, I actually work in downtown Detroit, so it's really easy to get over there for games. But uh, but yeah, you'll have you'll have to check it out. Uh, sometimes I guess for all the MLB fans out there. Uh, it is baseball season, but um, but with that, um, I'll, I'll call it a night here. Uh, as always, I'm Thomas Bendit. You can check me out on Twitter at T Bendit. 
Um, Casey, where can people check you out? Uh, KCP underscore sports on Twitter. Uh, also, a couple times a week on uh, BT Powerhouse. Excellent. Oh, and we should mention as well, if you're on Instagram, there is a BT Powerhouse Instagram on there. So search it, follow it. Yes. Check us out. Um, this is the BT Powerhouse podcast, and we will see you next time, guys. Later.